0: Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Thank you, donkey. You can be seated. Let me let you in on a little uh, hilarious inside scoop. We um, originally, we had asked uh, Titus, who's one of our worship leaders, to play Jesus with his long hair and his beard, and then we found out that the the donkey we rented was actually a three-foot miniature donkey, and uh, so we... We realized we needed a a little shorter Jesus to match the three-foot donkey instead of a six-foot-three Jesus. So Isaac Obregon was awesome. His mom was leading worship this morning. (laughs) Uh, I want to unpack the significance of what happened on Palm Sunday. But first, it's a very special day for us as well because it's our executive pastor's birthday today. So Kendall Laughlin, stand up. Happy birthday to you. Sing it with me. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kendall. Happy birthday to you. Very thankful for that man of God. We've been studying the book of Ephesians on the topic of hope, and we've particularly looked at four different verses where Paul goes deeper in this, this powerful theme. We're going to be looking at that last verse in Ephesians that talks about hope this morning. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing With one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. I want to speak to you this morning from the theme hope disguised. Hope disguised. The Apostle Paul is sharing with the people of Ephesus that they were actually called to hope, but we have to. Understand how profound this is because Paul is in a hopeless situation. He is in prison. He's in Rome. He's away from his family and friends. He's actually in chains, he's actually chained to a, another Roman soldier. And he's about to go on trial to have a death sentence which will end up leading to his execution. And yet Paul is so filled with hope that he's talking to his spiritual children, the church in Ephesus, saying, Church, you were called to hope. Can I just tell you that oftentimes hope is disguised. Hope comes from places that we wouldn't expect it. Hope is so powerful. Viktor Frankl The Holocaust survivor, a Jewish doctor who writes an autobiographical account of his time in the Nazi concentration camps, said that there was one characteristic that let people survive the Holocaust more than any other. It wasn't physical strength, it wasn't mental aptitude, but the thing that allowed people to persevere, the abuse, the starvation, the the neglect, all of the atrocities was those that carried hope were ones that made it to the end. I want to talk about that hope this morning, and I want to tell you that there's no place that better embodies this theme of hope disguised than in the Palm Sunday narrative. Let me paint it for you this way. It's the week before Jesus is going to go to the cross. People have been hearing about this Galilean rabbi, this teacher who's going from village to village talking about the kingdom of God. They're, they're sharing with others how the sick are being healed when he lays hands on them. They're talking about the way that he's giving dignity to the poor. They're talking about uh, a teaching that they've never understood before, how powerful he is as he speaks. They're even talking about the dead being raised. There's already this holiday celebration going on in Jerusalem. It's the lead up to Passover. The best way we could explain the electricity that would be in the air would be kind of akin to our Christmas celebration in America. All the, all the shops have changed. All the people are coming in. But combine that with a, a presidential election because the people have been hearing about this rabbi and they're wondering, is this going to be our new leader? Is this going to be the new ruler who sets us free from Rome? And, and, and so it's into this kind of scenario. Jerusalem swelled up to about 2 million people. The, the small city is overflowing with people. And that's when the news comes, Jesus is approaching. Jesus is approaching. And as he comes down that road, he does it in the most confounding way. Because instead of coming like a, uh, a ruling and reigning war hero, he comes not on a, on a massive white steed. He shows up on a little donkey. As he comes, the people pick up They're palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And just like our children, they start waving them. They're taking off their cloaks. They're throwing them down on the ground for Jesus to come in on this little donkey. And they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at that moment, Jesus was perfectly fulfilling a prophecy that had been spoken of him hundreds of years ago in the book of Zechariah. I want to look at that this morning. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Not a book that we normally look at. I doubt if I said, hey, who is reading Zechariah in your quiet time this morning? I, probably not many would say that, but... I want you to see just how clear the description of Jesus this is. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace To the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Let me just unpack this line by line because it's just pregnant with meaning here. Let's start at the beginning. It says, Your king comes. Can I tell you that Jesus is the king of kings? Can I tell you that Jesus is the Lord of lords? Can I tell you that Jesus isn't just the king over my heart? He's the king over this nation. And Jesus isn't just the king over a nation that might be known as Christian. Jesus is the king of every nation. Whether a nation recognizes him or not, he is king. And he's not just the king of the nations. Jesus is the king of the universe. He is ruling and reigning on an eternal throne. And the Bible says this next. It says he's righteous. No one who's ever lived upon the earth can claim that they are righteous except for Jesus. He's the only one without sin. Jesus stands apart from every person. Some people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. I respect Jesus because he had nice thoughts. No, Jesus was actually sinless. He never did anything wrong. He was righteous, but not only that, it says, and victorious. Can I tell you that when Jesus walked upon the earth, he showed that he had victory over sickness? You know, every person that Jesus laid hands on was made well. Do you know that every sick person that Jesus touched was made well? Do you know that every leper that he touched was cleansed? Do you know that every dead person that Jesus prayed for was actually raised to life? Jesus is victorious over sickness. Every sinful person that Jesus proclaimed forgiveness over was cleansed. Jesus is, is victorious. But here is the thing that, that is mind-boggling about Jesus. It says he's righteous and victorious, but he came lowly. What other king is like this? Whatever ruler is, is lowly. We, we, we just had a presidential election, and I, I watched these different debates, and the different candidates would come in, and they are dressed to the nines, right? They, they have the... Most expensive clothes on, perfectly tailored for them. When they come, they're showing up in limousines, they're flying in in jets, you know, and then we saw as things narrowed down, all of a sudden there's bands playing for them, there's, there's brass bands, and there's celebrities coming out and introducing them. That is how rulers show up on the scene. They show up with pomp, with fanfare, they come dressed extravagantly. Not Jesus. Jesus comes lowly. He's so different than, than worldly kings. In fact, so lowly that it says he comes lowly riding on a donkey. I mean, it's probably fitting that we had a three-foot donkey today. Uh, you can't get more humble than a donkey except a three-foot donkey, a miniature donkey, right? And actually, if you look at it, it says a donkey, a foal of a donkey, right? I, I, I'll, I'll never forget after Desert Storm, the, that 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 war in Iraq. That we had the opportunity. We were invited to go to the victory parade, where General Stormin Norman Schwarzkopf was coming in, leading the the uh, uh, American army, and it was awesome. And there was thousands of troops marching down that main thoroughfare in Washington D.C. And there's confetti going everywhere, and there's bands playing, and then the Jeeps driving, and then the Hummers, and then tanks coming in. I mean, it was awesome and powerful, and then and then Storm and Norman was there, you know, just walking through, and we're, Norman, you know. Uh, it was exciting. That is how you expect a, a war hero, a, a ruling reigning, Powerful person to enter, uh, not like this. Uh, this is how Jesus entered, right? The, the, a modern-day donkey, right? You, you, you don't you don't see a, a president or a king come in in their VW van, right? Why? Because that's lowly, that's normal, that's average, that's humble. But, but that's how Jesus entered. The scene, he's, he's so different. Can I just tell you that hope comes disguised? Hope often comes disguised. Let's keep going. It says, I will take away the chariots and the war horses. You know, we as humans, so often we want the chariots. Back, back then, chariots were the tanks. War horses, we we want the 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 Hummers to come in with a, you know what? I, here, here's the deal. I get in, I, I, I have troubled times in my life. You know, I maybe I have financial problems, and what do I want? I just want some billionaire to show up and be like, hey, I got this. I'm your sugar daddy. What's up? You know, and <laughs> we, we want the war horse. We want the strength to show up, you know, or we get in trouble. Someone starts picking, us, picking on us at work, you know, and we're like, we're daydreaming of Rocky Balboa showing up and be like, hey, hey, hey. Get back, you know it. And, and defending us, stepping in front of us, right? I mean, that, that's how we think. If, if I could just have the, the strong, the powerful, the, the beautiful, the perfect step in. Jesus comes as hope disguised. He says, nope, I'm coming on a donkey. Listen to this. It says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. The, the Jewish people in Israel, what, what did they want? They, they wanted their captors to be driven out. They wanted political freedom. The zealots, they wanted revenge on these Romans. Just come and maul them down and, and instead Jesus says no, I come bringing peace. I mean, that, That's the significance of, of a donkey is in Middle Eastern day it was known as an animal of peace. Jesus came in bringing peace. And don't you think it's it's so profound that the man who wrote in Ephesians that you were called to hope was a person who was in a hopeless situation? I mean, the guy is a, a, a prisoner. He's in chains. He's gonna be executed. And yet he's saying, you can have peace like I do. Like Jesus came to give you peace. Could it be The true hope isn't the absence of problems, but true hope is Jesus' presence with you in the midst of your challenges. Watch this. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is just a spiritual peace and a spiritual hope. No, beloved, there is coming a day where Jesus will return again. Like we talk about on Palm Sunday, we talk about Jesus, lowly Jesus coming in on a donkey to bring you peace. But we also say that there is a day coming where Jesus will return on the clouds. And he will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess on heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will return and he will put everything in its rightful place. And there will be no more mourning, no more death, no more sickness, no more disease, no more war, no more suffering on this earth. He will establish perfect peace. Do you believe that? Do you long for that? I I hope that you're not just living for this world. I hope you're not so caught up that this one life is everything to you. I hope that you look forward and some days on your lowest days you go, but you know what? There's a day coming and he's going to return and all my pain is going to be gone and all my sickness is going to be gone and all my financial problems are going to be gone because Jesus is going to come back and establish his rightful reign. That's the truth. That's not some pipe dream. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is real and Jesus is returning. But for now, look at this. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. I don't know if you you just saw this. This is the gospel, the good news in Zechariah. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. The the blood of my covenant, what what does that mean? What does the blood of my covenant mean? Here's what it means. It means that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sin. And so there had to be a blood sacrifice. So Jesus comes and pays with his blood for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus said, "I'm taking care of that by dying for you." So when He shed His blood, it covers our sin. So this is the blood covenant. That's why when we take communion, said, so "This is the blood of My new covenant shed for you." So that when we accept His gift of His death and His shed blood, it actually cleanses us. You can't cleanse yourself, but it cleanses you. This is in Zechariah, folks, the Old Testament. And what does it say? It says, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. What does that mean? We were all destined to hell for what we had done. We all deserve to suffer in hell. Hell's a real place, according to Scripture. Jesus talks about it a lot. It's a place of fire. It's a place of eternal suffering where the fire never is extinguished. But this is what the Scripture says, by the blood of my covenant, I freed prisoners from the waterless pit. Guess what? You don't have to go to hell. Like, if you were having a bad day today, like, that should really encourage you. You know, it's bad, but I'm not going to hell. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. You know, like, yeah, it's bad, but at least I'm not going to burn forever. Wow, that's great news. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us. And it says this in verse 12. I love this part. you gotta, you got to really watch this. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Well, return to your fortress. We don't talk about return to your fortress a lot, right? You're not, you're not talking in the middle of the day, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm returning to my fortress. No. <laughs> Why would people return to a fortress? You know, you, you watch the, those war movies, and they retreat. What do they do? They return to their fortress. When things get bad in, in the war, they return to their fortress. This is a word from the Lord to us today. Return to your fortress when things get bad, when the attack is high. What are you called to do? Return to your fortress. What is your fortress? Look at the next line. You prisoners of hope. Your fortress as a believer is hope in Jesus. Your fortress as a believer is the hope that's found in Christ. And it just doesn't say return to your fortress. It says you prisoner of hope. You know, there's a lot of people that are imprisoned to a lot of things. I, I meet people that are imprisoned by addiction. I meet people that are imprisoned with their greed. I meet people that are imprisoned with selfishness. You know what? I'm looking forward to start meeting some people that are imprisoned in hope. They're imprisoned by hope. They can't get out of hope. They're like, you know what? I, like, my finances, they are horrible, but I can't stop hoping. You know, they're like, no, I, I know, my marriage, it looks horrible, but, like, I just can't get hope out of my heart. I can't stop. I'm trying to get away from it. Like, I know I shouldn't be hopeful, but I, it's like it's got me. I'm a, I'm a prisoner of hope. Let me out. I can't stop hoping, right? I want to tell you, that is the call of a believer. Have you ever found yourself where you're, you're in a scenario and you're like, man, everything around me is looking really bad, but I am so hopeful. Like, this doesn't make sense. Can I tell you that's the call on your life, beloved? To be a prisoner of hope. Someone's like, Aren't you scared? You're, your body, you're so sick, you're like, I don't know, I should be, but I'm just like trapped in hope. A prisoner of hope. God is calling people to be a prisoner of hope. Yeah, Paul was a prisoner in prison, but even more so, he was a prisoner in hope. He was in he couldn't get away from hope. And so he in prison, in chains, in a hopeless situation, is actually telling people that aren't in a hopeful situation, hey, you got to latch on to this thing called hope, because this is your calling. This is your inheritance, beloved. I'm going to point out one more amazing symbolism in the Palm Sunday narrative, and that's of the actual palms themselves, like these palm... Leaves, these palm fronds why would they wave these well first of all they were a sign of victory like when kings came and they were returned from war they'd wave these palm fronds yes you're victorious it was a, a sign of victory but here was the second meaning in ancient times they were used in funeral processions to mourn those who had died you see that double meaning Jesus is coming in and they're saying, You're victorious, but Jesus was also coming into a funeral procession. He was marching to his death. Can I just tell you that oftentimes hope is disguised? Jesus' circumstances did not look good. In fact, he was purposely walking into them. He could have stayed in the outer rim in Galilee and just kept talking really good messages and drawing crowds and multiplying food and doing miracles. Everything would have been great. And instead, he said, no, I'm marching to Jerusalem because I actually have to die. Can I tell you that sometimes hope is disguised? I have uh, some friends that I was just with in Seattle this past week, Andrew and Carrie Bach, they lead Mosaic Church. It's a church in our, in our movement of churches. And over a year ago, I received a call from Andrew he was in a very desperate place he and Carrie had found out they'd had many complications through the years in, in pregnancies and I remember years ago being with them after a miscarriage and they were so devastated and in such pain and not just physically but emotionally and now I'm getting a call from Andrew who says you know Robert they've told us that if Carrie ever got pregnant again it will kill her And he goes, we're unexpectedly pregnant. We have an unexpected pregnancy. I said, well, how's it going? He goes, well, we went to the doctor and they looked at us and and looked at Carrie and said, this is actually a high-risk pregnancy that will probably kill you. You have to abort this child. And the doctor actually got in her face and said, you have to think about your husband and your other three kids. I'm like, wow, this is heavy. Andrew said, We can't do it. We believe in life, we believe that children are a gift. We have to stand on obedience to God. I went, Okay, man, I'm with you. I'm praying for you, I'm standing with you. It was a dark time, a painful time. I remember Andrew telling me, several months later, that he's in his office and he's crying out to God, God, you've got to help us. We're in a desperate situation. I can't lose my wife and, and, and have to take care of my three kids on my own. I can't do that. God, you've got to help me. And he said, as he's praying, it's like he sees this, this impossible pregnancy as this mountain before him you got to understand, he lives in Seattle. Out his back window is Mount Rainier. So he is used to a massive mountain in his view. And he says he sees it like Mount Rainier. And he's just going, God, you got to move that mountain. you got to move that mountain. He's just crying out, feeling so helpless. He says, God stops him. He says, son, I want to talk to you. He says, okay? He says, God says to him, son, you're seeing it from the wrong perspective. I want to show you the right perspective. He goes, please. Because he moves from looking at this mountain massive in front of him, and all of a sudden the next thing he's having this vision where he's going up to about 40,000 feet, like in a jet. And he's looking down, and instead of the mountain massive in front of him, it's just a little mountain. In the distance. God says, this is the right perspective, for you are my child, and you're seated with me in heavenly places, and I've given you authority to command mountains to move. He said, that's the rightful place to speak to the mountain. And He said, in that moment, his heart was filled with hope, and I talked to him and he was still in the same circumstance that the doctor said was hopeless. But all of a sudden, I'm talking to a different man, and I'm talking to a different woman because they were filled with hope. Can I tell you, sometimes hope is disguised. And Steph and I just returned from Seattle this week, and we got to be with their little baby girl who's been born and is perfectly healthy. The thing that was every bit as amazing to me was talking to Andrew and Carrie and seeing how God had transformed them and taken them probably 20 years forward in spiritual maturity, in authority, and in hope. They are different people. Why? Because they found hope when it was disguised in a hopeless circumstance. Listen to Jesus' week before he went to the cross. Because we just think, well, Jesus just went to the cross. No. Do you know that Jesus went through numerous circumstances, that he was obedient in the midst of pain on Monday? Jesus goes, after the triumphant entry, everyone's, yeah, 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 yeah Jesus. But you know what Jesus does? He goes into the temple. He takes a whip. He starts whipping it. He comes up to tables. Rah! He's Indiana Jones Jesus, (laughs) clearing out the temple. Everyone's upset with him. On Tuesday, he goes back and he gets in massive debates with religious leaders and authorities and they want to kill him. On Wednesday, he releases Judas to have a meeting with the religious leaders where He's given money to betray Jesus. And and Jesus understands that this is happening. On Thursday, Jesus goes to the upper room to be with his friends. But instead of letting them comfort him, he gets down on his knees and takes the most humiliating, sacrificial, servant-hearted posture and does what the lowest servant or slave in the house would do and wipes the grime and dirt off his disciples' feet. He washes their feet. And he doesn't even stop there. On Thursday night, he leaves there and goes to the one place where he actually can be betrayed and arrested. You know, Jesus had so much popularity right then with the masses that the, the leaders knew if they tried to arrest him in public, that there would have been a revolt. So what does Jesus do? He should have just stayed in the public places. He could have never been arrested. But no, Jesus embraced the pain And said, I'm going to go and put myself in the one place where I can be arrested. In the Garden of Gethsemane in a private place. And I'm going to let my friend come and betray me with a kiss. And I'm going to let myself be abused and dragged into court. And then on Friday, what does he do? He lets himself be falsely accused in court. I get so frustrated when I read this because I'm like, Jesus, just open your mouth and defend yourself. Like, you lot of eternity, attorneys. Like, you created lawyers. Like, you can defend yourself. And he sits there. And I'm like, Jesus, talk, please. And, and, he, and, and we know Jesus has already said, don't you know that I could command 12 legions of angels? And we think, oh yeah, he could have like 12 angels. No, 12 legions of angels is 72,000 angels. They could have come and just obliterated those little Romans. <laughs> but Jesus' sister, while they're pulling out his beard and beating him up, why? Because hope can be disguised. Can I just tell you, you could be following Jesus and you're like, how did I get in this problem? Like, Jesus, I followed you and my life seems worse. Anyone ever been in that case before? Yeah, you're like, Jesus, wow, thank you. And he's saying, no, beloved, hope is often disguised. Why would Jesus do all that? Because at the end of suffering, at the end of pain, at the end of bleeding, at the end of being broken, he would be exalted to the highest place. You see, hope would come through the pain. And he would then give the world Hope. I want to encourage you today no matter where you are, you can find hope in your situation. Look around, see through the eyes of the Spirit, not just eyes of the flesh. He is with you. The Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. He says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to, get, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's the word of God for you. Hope is often disguised, but in the end, God says that he is good and faithful to all his promises. That's the story of Palm Sunday. It's the story of Easter, and it's your story, beloved. And so today, we're going to finish our service by celebrating one of the most amazing privileges we have in our faith, but also a perfect picture of hope disguised, and that's Holy Communion. Who would think that you could find hope in blood being shed? Who would think that a a broken body would bring hope? But through the shed blood of Jesus and through his broken body, we actually have peace with God. I want you to stand with me now. Now, let me tell you this. The Bible talks about not taking communion in an unworthy manner, so let me give a couple of instructions first of all to the ones in here that say you know I don't know if I'm a, a Christ follower I don't know if I actually believe in Jesus then for you I encourage you to call out to him to receive his blood shed for you just, you can just say something like Jesus I need you save me from my sins the Bible says if you confess that with your mouth that he's coming in your heart and making you new For those that are following Jesus, when we come to communion, we want to repent of our sin. We don't want to take it for granted. I want to ask you to close your eyes with me right now, and I just want you to ask the Lord to search your heart. Is there any sin that I've been walking in that I haven't confessed? You know, he already sees it. He already knows it. You're not going to surprise him. Well, I don't want to tell Jesus. No, he's seeing it. So you just come in agreement with him and say, I know what I've been doing is sinful. Lord, I'm so sorry. And then you say, Lord, help me. Give me power to not walk in that sin anymore. So our our team's gonna lead us back into worship and I encourage you to worship. And then our ushers are gonna be passing the the bread and and the cup. And take that and hold it in your hand. We're going to all take it together. Why? It's because this is what makes us family. You know, what makes a, a natural family a family is that they share the same bloodline. Can I just tell you that although we're from 50 different countries in this church, and we're from all over this nation, and we're rich, and we're poor, and we're from all different backgrounds, when you give your life to Jesus, we all have the same blood running through us, and it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus and it makes us one family. So after we worship for a few minutes and you pray and you get your heart right with God, we're gonna take this together to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, his hope and his body that was broken to give us new life.